this morning. If you have your Bibles, I hope you'll join me in Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse number 12. Acts chapter 1, verse number 12. While you're finding your place in the Bible this morning, um, for the last 25 years, uh, I've been taking off on Fridays. I, that's been my day off. I know, Charles, a lot of people take off on, pastors take off on Monday. Um, I like to, I like Mondays. I like just getting in there and getting going on Monday and going visiting Monday night. And so I've always taken Fridays has been my days off and uh, my whole ministry. That's what I've done. And uh, on Fridays, I, I try to help my wife do the laundry, Carla. You know, I try to take care of that, help that, catch up on that, clean up the kitchen. Uh, Dennis, I clean out the refrigerator and uh, make, yeah, that's right. I eat, just make sure there's anything left in there I want. Uh, clean that out, uh, but I like to work on my hobby too. I see. I, I don't have a lot of hobbies. I know a lot of pastors fish. A lot of pastors play golf, and I don't have a lot of hobbies. But I do have one, and uh, and that's goats. I, I have a couple of goats. I got four goats, and I like to take care of them. Anybody in here besides me got goats? I know Sammy House has got goats. All right, nobody, just me. Okay, good. You want goats, sister? I know you do. All right. Let me just go on record and say this. I need to make sure, David, that I, that I say this, and and that is. Um, pastor's got all the goats he needs. He doesn't need any more. He's got four. He doesn't need any more, okay? So don't give me a goat for Christmas or my anniversary or anything like that, okay? I don't need any more. I got four. That's all I can take care of. That's my hobby. That's one of the things I like to do. On Friday, I, I figured out, Jeff, I, I didn't have enough feed. The feed was gone. The weather's going to get cold. So I ran to Shirley's feed and seed and got some goat feed. And I also got a couple bales of hay and I took it up there to the goat's Abe, and as I took it up there to the goats, I took one of the bells of hay, and I, I threw it in there just for them to munch on and just enjoy. And then I was going to take the others and I, other bell, and I was going to spread it out in their little houses. They got little dog houses, uh, PJ. It's, uh, they're spoiled. I mean, really, they really are. But I, I wanted them to make sure they are going to stay warm as the cold weather's coming in. So I reached in to grab that second bell of hay, and when I do, you know that little red strap that goes around the hay bells? One of them things came off. And when one of those things came off, it just went all in the back of the truck. You know what I'm talking about, Charles. Those things bust on you. It's over. And uh, so now I'm by myself. Everybody is at school. It's me, the dear Lord, and the four goats. And for those of you that are interested in my hobby, their names are Laverne and Shirley, <laughs> Betty and Wilma. I mean, it, it's just a zoo up there. We have a great time. And so uh, they're excited about getting the feed, and they're excited about getting the hay. And uh, I've got this busted bale of hay in the back of the truck. Well, the only way to get it in now that one strap's off, you know, you try to pick it up by the other strap, and it just falls completely apart. So you just got to pick it up, and you just got to tote it in there and throw it in there. So uh, I, I get me a handful, and I kick the gate open. I walk around. I kick the gate closed, and everything's fine. But it's on my second pass where I start messing up. I kick the gate open, and when I go to kick the gate closed with a hand full of hay, I kick the gate too hard, and it swings open. Well, I don't need to tell you what happens. You all know. Two. Who? No, Betty and Wilma got out. <laughs> Bet, well, Burn and Shirley stayed in. Betty and Wilma got out. But I wish that they had all got out. Because now I've got to get two in. And the two that are out are happy that they're out, but the two that are in wishes they were out. 
And so uh, trying to keep everybody situated, I mean, you, you talk about a preacher doing a dance. I wish you could have seen me. I spent 45 minutes trying to hem him things up. Get on over that way. Get on over that way. And I'd get one in and bless God in another one get out. So I'd get, I'd get bed, I'd, I didn't get Betty in until last, but I, I got, I'd get to, uh, uh, Wilma in there, and then, and then there'd go Laverne. She'd run out. And I was sweating. I, was, I needed somebody to unite with me because I knew the Lord was in heaven going, hey, watch, watch this. <laughs> you, know our, you know our servant old Shane down there at Mays. <laughs> Look at him trying to feed them goats. Hey, watch this. <laughs> and, and we were just having a good time at my expense. And I'm trying to hem these things up. Well, I broke a sweat. I was sweating. Miriam finally pulls in up there. And, I, and finally, after 45 minutes, I finally have the revelation. And what the revelation was is open up the gate, let them all out. And then when they all got out, all I had to do was, bah! And it scared them, and they all ran right back in. I mean, just like that. It was true. That's a true story. Exactly like that. That's how it happened. I needed somebody to unite with me, though, if I was only going to round up two. Now, let me say that. There's a point to that silly little introduction to this message. It's easier to round up goats with more than one person. I can do more with more people than I can do by myself. And the same is true when it comes to the church. It's not the pastor's responsibility to win the world to Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility. We do it together. And here at Maysville Baptist Church, we need to be united in that mission. We need to be united in the opportunities that God has presented to us to go and share the gospel. Last week, we talked about the mission of the church. And we said the mission that we have is to start in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the uh, world. And we talked about our purpose statement matching our mission. Our purpose statement here at Maysville is loving God, loving others, and serving the world. So what we're saying is, do those two things match? Is loving God, loving others, serving the world, is that the mechanism that we use to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts, so that we can make a disciple? And the answer to that question we learned last week was yes. That does match, and we are doing that. That's something we are doing. And by doing that and obeying the scriptures, we, we're saying that this is living with biblical clarity. And that's what our goal is as we study the book of Acts, is to live with biblical clarity. Well, what happens in this next text that we're going to look at here in just a few moments is we're going to shift gears. Now that we see the mission of the church, now what we're going to notice in this narrative is how unified believers function with one another. What are the areas of unification in disciples? What is the area that we function as a church together that we need to be united on? That we need to work together on? That we don't need to do it by ourselves, we don't need to do it alone, but we need each other. I need you. You need me. We need each other. And above all else, we need Jesus. Amen? Turn to that person beside you and say, I need you. I turn to that other person and say, yeah, you too. All right, you found your place, say amen. amen. If you're able to stand, would you stand as we honor the reading of God's word? Notice what the scripture says in the text. Verse 12, he says, Then returned they, talking about the apostles, unto Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is from Jerusalem 
a Sabbath day journey. That's about three quarters of a mile. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Those brethren are the ones that didn't believe he was the Messiah. Uh, when your brother raises up from the dead, it pretty much he says who he says he is. And they recognize that now. And now they're in the upper room with the apostles. Verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of the names together were about 120. He said this then, Men and brethren, this scripture must have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus, for he was numbered with us and had, and had obtained part of this ministry. So you can be, let me just stop and say something parenthetically right here, David. You can be a member of the church and still be lost as last year's Easter egg. The Bible says that Judas was numbered among them. He was a part of them, but he didn't know the same Jesus Matthew knew. He didn't know the same Jesus Peter knew. And the Bible goes on to say this. He says in verse 18, Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all of his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellings of Jerusalem, insomuch that the field is called in their proper tongue a kildama. That is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied us uh, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, being from baptism of John unto the same that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and uh, Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, you knowest the hearts of all men. Show whether of these two men which ones should be chosen, uh, that he may take part in this ministry and apostleship, uh, for which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell. To Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. You may be seated. Uh, may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I want to go ahead and say this, the doctrinal thing here. Uh, and then jump right into the message. Doctrinally, we see uh, what qualifies to be an apostle in that latter part. Did you see that? So he had to be there with the uh, disciples at Jesus' baptism. They had to see him from that point. Had to see him ascend up into heaven at the ascension. Uh, and they had to see his resurrection. And so just by the scriptures, we see that there are no more apostles. I said, well, wait a minute. I, uh, I saw that the first Baptist temple of holiness greater than he's got their pastor's apostle, uh, which you called it, from such and such. Well, listen, we got to make sure that we line it up with scripture. The Bible's very clear what an apostle is. You've heard me say, I said it last week, I'll, I'll reiterate it again today. I didn't see him go up. But I will see him when he comes down. Amen. All right? So that disqualifies me from being an apostle. I did not physically see the Lord Jesus Christ ascend into heaven. Number two, the second thing, I did not physically see with my own eyes him come out of that tomb. 
but I'm a product of him coming out of that tomb. I've got to change life. And so that disqualifies me from being uh, an apostle. I was not there the day that Jesus got baptized and the dove landed there. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. I'm disqualified from being an apostle. So is everybody that's in my generation, the generation before that, and the generation before that. These are the last apostles that we find here. We are now all disciples, and we're all called out by God to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That, that's just what the scripture says. Now, that, that might rub you the wrong way. My challenge to you would be this. Don't write me an email and tell me where I'm wrong. Just study the scriptures and see where the Bible's right. I'm not trying to be right. I just want you to see what the scripture says and obey the scriptures. But in this particular narrative, it's fascinating because we see in this narrative what are the areas of unification that we need to be operating in in the church's life. So if we're the body of Christ, then what are the areas that we definitely need to be unified in in order for us to fulfill the mission of the church and continue out our purpose of loving God, loving others, serving the world. There are three of them. I want to show them to you in this text. Number one, the first one is they were united in prayer. They were united in prayer. Did you see it there in the text? The Bible talked about it in verses 12 through 14. And it talked about how the disciples were united in prayer. As a matter of fact, in this unification of prayer, when they were united in prayer, we see that in particular... There are three specific things that we notice about the church praying. Number one, the first thing we see is the place. Did you see the text? Notice what the Bible says in verse 13. The Bible says, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room. Now, if you mark in your Bibles, and I encourage you to do so, I'd take your pen, I'd underline that word, an upper room. You see that? A-N, an upper room. This is a definite article in the Greek. It's a fascinating word. It's a definite article in the Greek. This definite article can toggle back and forth of the English word an or the English article the. So some of your translations that you're reading says the upper room. Other translations says an upper room, which is right, both. They're both right. And they're both the word of God. And they're both accurate. And the reason why they're accurate, I believe that the writers had it very, very plain. They clearly understood that they needed to classify this as an an article or a the definite article. Why? Because we do not need to worship the place. We need to worship God. So what do you mean? You see, some scholars say that the upper room is the same upper room that they partook of the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. Is that true? We don't know that for sure. We can't be dogmatic on it, Charles. The Word of God uses a definite article to say the. Well, it could be the upper room at John's house. It could be the upper room at, at Sally's house. It could be the upper room at Jim's house. It's not for sure. It doesn't tell us in the text. But what is important is not whether or not it was the upper room where they partook of the Lord's Supper. That's not what's important or the Last Supper. What is important is that they had a place to pray. That's what's important. And that's what's important in our lives today. As a matter of fact, in this room this morning, we have a place to pray. We call it the altar. 
This altar is open 24-7. You can come pray at this altar. Anytime we're having service, you can come pray at the altar. If we're singing and, and we're talking about uh, the Lord is my salvation and the Holy Spirit speaks uh, to your heart and just with gratefulness you want to thank God and you want to come and bow down before Him, you've got a place to do that at the altar. Thank God we have a place to respond to the calling and the word of the living God. He tells us there in the Bible, they had the place. But not only do we have the place, but I also want you to see the people. Did you see who were there? The scripture tells us there in verse number 13. He says, right there was where uh, uh, Peter was there, James was there, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, uh, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealotes, and Judas, the brother of Jesus. These all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication with, here's some more people, the women, probably Salome, Mary Magdalene, and the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Those individuals that didn't believe, his brothers and sisters that didn't believe who he was, who he says he was. Uh, and the Bible also says in verse 15 that Peter went ahead and did a head count, said there were about 120 up in this room. So 120 people were praying, focusing and asking God to fulfill his promise and send the Holy Spirit down to them. The point that I want you to see here in response to this is that these people were both genders. They were men and women praying. And, and, and brothers and sisters, when it comes to this issue of what, what can a man do and what can a woman do, the scripture is very plain. A woman can do anything a man does except for pastor in the form of leadership in the church. Now, look, the culture I live in, I know I just broke all the rules. All the rules. Could I say this? I'm not sorry because that's what this says. It's what the Bible says. Now, I'm not trying to be rude, not trying to be mean, not trying to be uh, insensitive or some male chauvinist pig. That's not my desire at all. I love women. I married one. But listen, God has given each one of us very distinct gifts, and that giftedness is different. One thing that we've got to take note of is this. When it comes to womanhood and when it comes to this issue of being a woman of the Word and a woman of the Bible and being a woman in general, you can do something we men can't do. I said, i got a witness on that. Amen. You're right, sister. Let me give you one of them. Give birth. That's the truth. Give birth. Now, you said, now, wait a minute, preacher. Not in this culture we live in. I know. I saw the article. Come across the news that, this week. Man gives birth to a baby. Now, we all know what that means. We know that there was an individual, uh, a, a female, who had a womb, who has transitioned into a man, who got pregnant and gave birth to a man. The bottom line is simply this. When it comes to the issue of genders... In gender response, when we are born, who, how we are born, and in regards to the anomalies that happen, there are anomalies that happen, but they're anomalies. They're not the norm. The bottom line is, whether you look at the Word of God or you look in our society today, there's only two genders. I know it's hard to say amen to something like that in the culture we live in. I, I completely understand, but it doesn't make any difference. The Word of God is still true. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be flamboyant. I'm not trying to be dogmatic on it. I'm just simply saying that in regards to the upper room, when the women came together, the men came and the women came, they weren't separate. They prayed together. 
I'm grateful Aunt Hera prayed this morning. There's a reason why I asked Aunt Hera to pray this morning. Because the scripture says that the women prayed along with the men. They prayed in this passage of scripture. And then let me show you this. Not only do you see the place, the people, but you also see the purpose. What was the purpose? The purpose was that they were coming to pray. And they were also coming to ask requests of God. You see it there in the text. The Bible says they came for prayer and supplication. I would underline those two words. Those are very, very important. Prayer and supplication. Uh, I need to take a temperature. Are y'all okay? Everybody okay? Yeah, all right. So other than it being warm in here, everybody's okay. All right, all right. I just want to check, make sure everybody's all right. You still love me? I hope so. Jesus loves me, this I know. All right, the purpose. He goes on to the purpose. They're coming for prayer. Do you got that word prayer underlined? That word prayer means talking to God. That's all it means. They came to talk to God. So how do you talk to God? Just like in here, talk to God. Just like I talked to God just a few minutes ago. Well, you just you talk to him. Talk to God. And then he says they also continued in supplication in one accord. They're all praying together in one accord and they're requesting things from God. They're not taking for granted that God uh, is going to keep his promise. And God is going to keep his promise. But they continued to pray until he kept his promise. And they made this request. The word supplication means to ask. God, uh, I would like for you to blank, do this. I, I need this. And there's a lot of things we as a church can pray for. And that's the application. We have a place of prayer. We have a people of prayer. And we have a purpose of prayer to praise God, to exercise praise unto Him, and to worship Him, and to love Him, and to let Him change us from the inside. I don't know about you, but I don't want the culture changing me from this. I want this to change me. Okay, so they're united in prayer. We need to be united in prayer. What do we need to be united in praying about? Can, can I give you just a couple of things I want you to pray for? Number one, you can pray that we'll always be a Bible-preaching church. We'll always be a Bible-preaching church. Number two, the second thing we need to pray about is we need to pray that the baptismal waters get stirred up. When I mean, people get saved and they get scared to get in the baptismal pool, for whatever reason, we need to pray. Pray that God would follow the believer's baptism. Here's something else you can pray. We need to pray that the debt gets paid off. Man, I'm telling you, it's amazing to see what you guys uh, are doing. I uh, had lunch with um, uh, our, our, the bank that holds our loan this past week. I carried uh, Pastor Mark and myself out to lunch and sat down. And uh, again, he sat there and shook his head. He said, I ain't never seen anything like this. Are y'all sure y'all don't need some money? I said, no, uh, the Lord has provided everything that we, we, we need. And I'm very grateful, very thankful. He says, man... It is a testimony at the, at the workplace. I mean, it is amazing to see how God is using your people to do what you're doing. It is absolutely incredible. So you're a testimony. You're a testimony. You need to keep praying about that. And we need to pray that when we go out throughout these doors here in just a few minutes, that we'll share the gospel with a lost and dying world. Make disciples. That's the purpose while we're here. United in prayer. Number two, let me show you a second thing very quickly. Not only do you see they're united in prayer, but they're also united in scriptural knowledge. United in scriptural knowledge, verses 15 through 20. Again, in this narrative, you see Peter stand up, and he's going to start telling this story about Judas. And we see that there was a scriptural knowledge that Peter had about scripture that he communicated in such a way that nobody argued with. They all agreed with it. They all said, this is truth. 
And we can learn something from this by way of application in our lives. We can turn and learn two things. Number one, the first thing we could learn uh, is that we need to be using Scripture. He used Scripture, and we too need to use Scripture. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in those days when Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, Men and brethren, this Scripture must needs have been fulfilled. Well, what Scripture is he talking about? What scripture must needs to be fulfilled? You don't see that till verse 20. The Bible says, for, this, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. This is the writing of David, and it looks like when you read that psalm, it's found in Psalm chapter 69 in Psalms 109, that he's talking about Israel. But there's this scriptural depth of knowledge that Peter has that has been given to him, that he says, this is about Judas. It's a prophetic statement from the Psalms that speak about Judas. And so what can we learn? We can learn this. As born-again children of God, number one, we need to understand Scripture. And number two, we need to use Scripture. We need to use it. That is the bullets by which we have to communicate and say, thus saith the Lord. Now, if you don't think this is a big deal, you just look at what's happening in the Methodist church today. They are splitting over the inerrancy of the Word of God. Right down the middle, they are splitting over the inerrancy of the Word. They say, well, the Bible really doesn't mean this, and the Bible really doesn't mean that, and uh, really, we, we can change this to this, and, and, and really, just, it, and here's what they say it's archaic. No, listen, the Word of God is not archaic, it's relevant. And, and our problem is we don't like it. Can I just say this? It's okay not to like it, but it doesn't change it whether or not it's truth or not. I cannot like it all day long, but it doesn't change it being the truth. And when, listen, when I get my feelings back in order and I start walking in obedience, it's amazing how my feelings get back in line. I lost my place. Oh, I love this in regards to this issue of the Holy Spirit. Look, look at what he says there in the text, in verse 20. He says, For it's written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. They knew very, very simply that this Psalm 109 was talking about how there needs to take a place of a bishop. He, there needs to be somebody take Judas's place. It was a, a forecast from David. And by the way, who told David this? Did you see it? It's there in the text. The Bible says it came from the Holy Ghost. Do you see that? The Holy Spirit spoke to David and told him what he needed to write down. And so it was very easy for uh, the Apostle Peter, when he looked at that, said, the Holy Spirit told him that. And we must fulfill his absence in this. And by the way, lest we think we as Southern Baptists are immune from splitting, I'm telling you what, we have already had a fight over the, over the Word of God. We have fought and fought and fought, and we finally come to the position that says, yes, we believe in the errancy of the Word. But I'm going to tell you what's happening right now in the 21st century in the Southern Baptist Convention. We are taking our eyes off the gospel and putting our eyes over here on social justice. And what we're saying here is we got to focus on social justice in order to win somebody to Jesus. Can I go on record in saying this? You don't have to focus on social justice. you got to focus on Jesus. He's the one that brings the greatest justice. Man, I tell you what, we, we get so denominationally distracted today. Why can we just not stick with the stuff? So you're mad. I'm mad at the devil. 
He's a, he was a liar in the Garden of Eden. And bless God, he's a liar today. And he'll tell you you're not good enough. He'll tell you you don't know anything. He'll tell you you're stupid. But the bottom line is, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I, bless God, I may not understand it all, but I know it to be true. If we're going to be a church to make a difference in this area and around the world, we've got to be united in scriptural knowledge. Is this the truth? Then we live it, right? Number three. Here's the third one. We need to be united in God's leading. United in God's leading. That's the third thing we see here in the text. United in God's leading. Look at what the Bible says in verse 21 very quickly. He says, wherefore these men which have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John and into that same day he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed to Joseph, which we know at the end is surnamed Justice, and also Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, thou Lord, you know the hearts of all these men. Show us which of these two you've chosen. That he may take part in the ministry of the apostleship. From which Judas by transgression failed. That he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots. And the lot fell to Matthias. And he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Now, there's been a lot of debate here concerning whether or not the uh, uh, apostles should have done this. But we see in Scripture that the Bible says over in the book of Psalms somebody had to take his place. And in regards to that apostleship, we find that they chose Matthias and they did so with what we know to be as lots. They cast lots. And here's one of the things that a lot of people struggle with today is in regards to prescription. When the Bible prescribes something, they cast their lots. Does that prescription aid fall on us today? And when you study this passage of Scripture, we see that this is a very easy one to answer. Do we cast lots today? You didn't cast lots to bring me on as your pastor. Uh, you sent out a search team and prayed about it and sought God's face. Well, the reason why you didn't cast lots is because this lot casting right here is the last lot casting in the Bible. It's the last time it's ever done. It's not done anymore. And the reason why it's not done anymore is because we don't need to cast lots. And the reason why we don't need to cast lots is because we have the Holy Spirit. And so as they're waiting for the Holy Spirit, they cast these lots to figure out uh, who God wants. Now, there's two things I want you to notice here about this. Number one, the first thing is, I want you to notice here in the text, dependence. Their dependence was upon God. Again, look at the text. He says there in verse number 24, And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. They said, God, we're dependent upon you to show us. And the only way we know how to do this is taking the prescription from the Old Testament and how we've done it up until this moment in time, and that's cast lots. And we're going to cast the lots and see which of these two men you want us to have. This is our dependence upon you. We don't do that today. Today we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, 
And we know what the mission is. We know what the purpose is. We know what we're called to do. But we get so distracted and fail to put our dependence upon God, we put our dependence upon ourselves and say, no, well, we need to do this social injustice, and we need to take part in this, or we need to take part in that, or we need to do this. And the bottom line is, it's not about doing this, that, or the other. It's being obedient to the Word of God and putting your dependence upon Him. We can't do anything without his dependence. We have to depend upon God. But not only do I want you to see dependence, I want you to see a second thing here, and that is direction. Direction. Somebody has to direct. That's right. Somebody has to. Who directed in this particular stage? Peter. You see what the Bible says? Verse number 15, once again, in conclusion. The Bible says, and in those days Peter stood up in the midst of all of the disciples. And he said, and then he began to speak. Dear brothers and sisters, when you look at Peter's life and you see what God had called him to do, somebody had to be moved and take the bull by the horns in, re- in regards to God's leading. And in God's leadership, Peter stood up and he said, here's what the scripture says, this is what we need to do. Brothers and sisters, how do we relate this passage of scripture to Maysville Baptist? We relate it to Maysville Baptist in these three areas. Number one, if we're going to be a church on fire for Jesus Christ in fulfillment of the Great Commission, if we're going to fulfill our purpose of loving God, loving others, serving the world, with the goal of making disciples right here in Maysville, in Jefferson, Gillsville, all over the state of Georgia, and also in the uttermost parts of the world, then if we're going to do that, we first must be united in one accord together in prayer. That's got to be the first thing. We've got to be praying together. A church that prays together stays together. I'm telling you, we need to be more committed to prayer in 2020 than we ever have. We need more people during the invitation, if nothing more, to get into these altars and start praying for the election that's coming up, to pray for the, uh, the babies that are dying every day, to pray for the cultural wars that are happening in and out. Oh, dear brothers, we need to pray for this nation and that God would put it upon our hearts and move us out of our seats of complacency and get down on our knees and cry out to God to save one more soul. We need to be united in prayer. Number two, we need to be united in scriptural knowledge. One of the biggest challenges in my ministry is when I have to counsel, I love counsel. I'm not a very good counselor, but I enjoy hearing from you and trying to point you back to Scripture and what the Bible says. But if I had a dollar for every time we got in there and the husband said, my wife's a spiritual leader of the home. She knows more about the Bible than I do. Well, there's only one reason for that. You don't read it. That's the reason. You don't read it. And the reason why your wife knows what she knows is she reads it or she listens to it. But bless God, we don't have a problem watching Hank Parker on TV. Let me tell you something about Hank Parker. He reads the Bible. He's got a scriptural knowledge. And I know it's hard. Think about it. A lot of times we get confused. get stories mixed up. And you say, well, I think the Bible said this. I think the Bible says that. Reminds me of the story of that preacher that uh, preached that uh, uh, message. And the search team told him, said, look, we uh, want to talk to you. That was a great message you preached. And uh, he said, can we see you in the back room? And so they took him out there in the back room. And sat down with him, and as they sat down with him, they said, what's your favorite part of the Bible? He said, well, that preacher said, well, 
it's the New, the New Testament. He said, what's your uh, favorite part of the New Testament? He said, well, I guess it would be the story of the prodigal son. He said, can you, can you tell me that story? And the preacher got nervous, and we got nervous. He got everything confused. He said, well, yeah, I'd be glad to tell you the story of the prodigal son. He, he said, uh, there was a man by the name of Nicodemus that went to Jericho by night and fell upon stony grounds, and the thorns growed up and choked him half to death. He said, the next day, Sodom and his wife Gomorrah came by and picked him up and took him down in the fiery chariot down to the ark where Moses was so Moses could take care of him. But while he was passing through the eastern gate of the ark, he got his hair hung in a tree limb and hung there 40 days and 40 nights. But thank God that man's wife Delilah came by to cut his hair. And he was hungry, and the ravens came and fed him. The next day, he caught a ride down to Jericho, and when he got to Jericho, he looked up on the wall of Jericho, and there he saw Nehemiah and Bildad the Shuhai. They looked down at him, and they said, Chunker down, boys. He said, How many times shall I chunker? They said, Seventy times seven. Did you know they threw that woman down 490 times? And she burst asunder in their midst. And the fragments left over filled up 12 baskets. But for the life of me, I do not know who in the world that woman's going to be the husband of in the millennium. He got done telling that story and looked up at that search committee chairman and smiled. The search committee chairman looked at him and looked at the other folks on the team. And looked at him and looked at the other folks on the team. He said, I'm going to tell you right now. That boy ain't much to look at, but he flat knows his Bible. I make a move, we call him to be our pastor. We get confused sometimes. You know what I find fascinating about this? When you look and you study this passage of Scripture, when Peter quoted verse number 20, he didn't give chapter and verse. You ever notice that? He says, for it's written in the book of Psalms. Brothers and sisters, we ought to have a, a scriptural knowledge of the Word of God to where we can take people and use the Scripture in such a way to help them. Just after the service, this, this last hour, and I'm out of time. And I'm closing up. I had a young boy come to me. and He said, I just want to talk to you, Pastor. So he went back there. And the bottom line was this. He was struggling with his eternal security. That was his bottom line. He had prayed and asked Jesus to save him. He's been scripturally baptized. But he says, man, this world that I'm living in is contrary to what I know is true in my heart. And so we talked through that. And... and I just knew we needed to go over to 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. In 1 John 5, 13, the Bible says, These things that are written unto you that believe on the name of the Son, Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And so I, I asked the boy the question before we read the, the text. I said, If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And this is after he told me he has prayed to receive Christ, that he's been baptized. He looks at me and says, I hope so. So my mind immediately thinks about 1 John 5, 13. I said, if I could show you a passage of Scripture that'll, that'll, that'll solve that, uh, I, I think you'd, you'd appreciate it. It'd make you feel better. I said, let me show it to you. And I turned over there and I pointed to it, and I just went through the verse with it. And uh, I said, okay, the Bible says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Who was God's Son? He said, Jesus. I said, Okay. The Bible says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. You said it's Jesus. It says you've got to believe on him. Did you just tell me just a few minutes ago that you prayed and believed Jesus was the Messiah and asked to forgive you of your sins? He said, yes, sir, I did. 
I said, according to this verse, it says that you may K-N-O-W, know that you have eternal life. You see that there? He said, yes, sir, I see that now. And then it clicked. I mean, his eyes got as big as half dollars. Charles, big smile came on his face. And I said, you got it, didn't you? He said, yes, sir. I said, let me ask you again. If you were to die today or when you die, are you going to go to heaven or hell? And with a big smile on his face, he says, I know I'm going to go to heaven, preacher. I said, how do you know that? He said, because I have believed what the Bible says. Brothers and sisters, we have got to have a very clear knowledge of what the Scripture says, especially concerning salvation. And then number three, we have got to be united in leadership. We've got to be united in God's leading. This isn't my church. This is his church. Yet God has called me to be the pastor. And as God's called me to be the pastor, and as God has given vision, and we wait for vision, and we listen for vision, and then we move on vision, and then we get out there on vision and do it, know that your preacher can't do it by himself. He needs your help. So, well, God doesn't need me. No, he doesn't. He doesn't need me either. But he chooses to use me. And he chooses to use you, and you, and you, and you. And I'm going to tell you what, something else to be true. God didn't make any junk. He didn't make any junk. So well, God can't use me. Look at me. I mean, what do I have to offer? Why don't you open your hands and let's see what you have to offer? God designed you and created you on purpose, for purpose, so that you would live your life with biblical clarity, that your life might bring him glory. And so the pastor is coming to you today and saying this. God's got something he wants you to do. Why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you involved? Why aren't you singing in the choir? God's given you a voice. It's okay to take a break every now and then. Every now and then, you know, football players got to get out of the football game, get him a drink of water. He may have hit somebody so hard his helmet came off. He can't even play the next play. He's got to go out for a play and come back in. It's all right. Go out for a play and come back in. It's all right to have half time and catch your breath. But don't you say the game's over. God's not done with you. And you say, well, I'm mad at God. He didn't do things the way I want him to do it. Then, brothers and sisters, you need to live in light of biblical clarity. And you need to clearly understand that God is fulfilling his will in your life. And he's wanting your dependence to be upon him. And your dependence to be upon him is regardless of what he says, decides. Whether it's yes to your prayers, no to your prayers, or wait to your prayers, you're to walk in obedience. So, dear friend, I want to ask you, are you living with biblical clarity? As a member of Maysville Baptist Church, are we united in prayer? Are we united in spiritual knowledge? Are we united with the leadership of God? If not, I want to challenge you today. Take advantage of these altars and get right with God. Let's bow for prayer. Maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Dear friend, that's the very first thing that you must do. You must trust Jesus to be your Savior. If that's something you'd like to do today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, from God's heart to your heart and from your heart to God's heart, would you say something like this to the Lord? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins. This morning I trust you as my Savior. 
Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Now with our heads